Good morning. My name is Pastor Dan Lighton, and, and I've had the pleasure of knowing these three young men sitting in the chairs up here, well, for at least for the last five years that I've been at Holy Word. And then they got a dose of me once a week in confirmation class. We were in God's Word together for the last two years. We've done that over the school year where they've been in class with myself and with our vicar, looking into God's Word and, and learning what it means to them in their lives and to all of us in our lives. And so, Zachary, Major, Connor, here we are. I want to share with you a thought. Maybe you have this thought sometimes, too, around your birthday. When I was your age, the week before August 6th, which is my birthday, August 6th, my birthday, <laughs> the week before that, I was, had an intense interest in the mailbox particularly with the letters that came that had, what, my name on them? You nodding? You, you get where I'm, going, where I'm going with this, Connor? Grandma and Grandpa, my godparents, I'll tell you about my godparents. My godparents from Michigan would send me a card every year on my birthday and Christmas, and I'd be looking for that card because I knew, well, I would get the card, and maybe you did this too as a child, and you'd open it up, Right there, you got your birthday card, and on the top of the birthday card, of course, it would have a birthday message on the front, and then... And then you would open it up, and what would you do right away? You'd read the message inside, right? No? What would you do? Get the money out. Get the money out, he said. Get the money. Get, grab the money and run. I'd wait for that, oh, that check to fall right out, and what would I do? I'd look at that check right away and think to myself, now how much longer do I have to go to get my Super Soaker XXL or whatever it is? You buy a new video game or something like that. One year I even got a super soaker and a video game with a check from my godparents and oh I love that. They love me. I should say that. They loved me and they confirmed their love with a card and they confirmed their love with a check and I knew that they confirmed their love because they were very consistent with that. Now I grew up and they don't send me checks any longer but I have a paycheck of my own now so they don't have to. But what's my point? We look forward to that check in the mail if we know that it's coming all the time as young people, right, at our birthday or at Christmas. But what if I were to do something really stupid? What if I knew that that check was coming from my loving godparents in Michigan and my grandparents, and instead of opening up that card, I saw it come in the mail and I saw their name on it, and instead of opening it up, I would take a look at it. My parents had thrown it on my bed, and I would kind of take it and I would... I don't know, throw it in a shoebox, unopened, and leave it in a closet. <laughs> and I would do that again and again with all the cards that would come with my name on it. How do you think that would make my grandparents, my godparents feel? Angry? Maybe unappreciated? Well, what am I missing out on if I would do that? I'd be missing out on all the good stuff that they want to share with me, right? If it just sat in a closet. I'm sharing that story with you because this is the truth about the world today. Many people get that card. In fact, all people have this card from God. It's not a card like this, but it's, a, it's the message of the gospel, of our sin and of forgiveness and, and, of, and of the great news that we have in the gospel. But that word in their lives remains closed and thrown in the closet. They never get the beautiful check that God has written for them because they refuse to open it up. Today, when you get up in front of everybody, what are you doing? You're opening up this card from God 
that says to you that he's forgiven all of your sins. And this check from God that says that he spent his own blood, all of his blood, his own son's blood, to forgive you and to make you a child of God, to live with peace today and forever in heaven. And so today, take hold of the card. Take hold of the check. Don't throw it in the closet. But when you make your promises before God today, make this promise. God, I'm going to open up the card of grace, the card of the gospel, the card of your word each and every day of my life. And I love to do it because there's beautiful gifts in it. Here's the Bible passage for the sermon today that I want to share with you that talks about opening up and taking hold of God's gifts. This is it from 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, starting. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is a seasoned pastor at this time, and he's writing to a young person or a younger person who's beginning ministry or is in ministry at some level. Maybe back then they didn't call them pastors, but Timothy was a young overseer of a congregation. And he says that Timothy, like you young men up here, made a confession in front of many people about his faith. It either could have happened at Timothy's commissioning or maybe it happened at his adult baptism. Again, this is the early Christian church, and there were many of those in, at that time. But at some point, he stood up, like you guys will, and he said, I love God, I love my Savior Jesus, and I stand on this faith. And he said it to the whole world. Paul says, stick with that confession, and don't stop it. This is your assignment. The word that he used there is fight, to fight the good fight of faith. That means literally to engage in a contest. I know that all of you have engaged in a contest before, haven't you? What kind of contest have you engaged in in the past? Or do you want me to tell you? Because I've been watching. I have a couple ideas. How about this contest? Does this look familiar this semester from school? What have we been playing this semester? Lots and lots of tennis, right? Mrs. Wardell's taking you out. I've seen you hitting the ball across the parking lot. Move your car. No, you're hitting the ball across the parking lot, going to the park and playing tennis. You've engaged in a contest. You've practiced at recess. You've done a lot of, of going back and forth in competition. I have another one. Engage in a contest. How about this one? Major, look familiar? Yeah? Week before the Dallas tournament this year, they go to Dallas every year to play in the tournament, the school kids do. And a week before that, I asked Mage, are you ready to play? Are you ready to go? And what did he say? No, my ankle. My ankle hurts. I'm not ready to go. But do you know what? He fought the good fight. He engaged in the contest. He went to practice with Vicar that week. And he played through his injury. You know, Major, what it means to engage in a contest. You played through all of the hurt. For your team. Fight the good fight. One more. When I look at this glove and this ball, you know who I think of? I think of this man right here, Zachary White. And Zachary, do you remember a couple years ago at Talent Show what you did for a demonstration? What did you do? How to throw and catch a baseball. Zachary got up in front of everybody and he showed us meticulously how to put the glove down and how to do a ground ball or field a grounder, how to catch a ball and how to, the mechanics of throwing the ball. Why? Because he loves what? Baseball. You love baseball, right? You love engaging in that fight. You love the strategy. You love the mechanics. That reminded me everything that you do to fight the good fight. 
Engage in the contest. But now think about this, young men. Don't just engage in that contest. Paul says to engage in the contest of faith, to practice your faith, like you practice tennis and baseball and, and basketball, to practice and engage in it all the time. When I was your age, I did, competitive, I, I did competitive piano playing. Okay, it's not quite as fun as the things that you guys are doing here. But from fourth grade through high school, I did. I had, went through a method. It was called the Suzuki Method, worldwide method that's used around the world. And do you know what the creator of that method used to say? The, Mr. Suzuki, the creator of it, used to say this. He says, Practice only on the days that you eat. <laughs> Do you get that? Practice only on the days that you eat. Practice your faith as often as you, you eat. As often as you feed your body, Paul is saying, I want you to think about and exercise and practice your faith as well. You do that. Why do we do that? Because guess what? Just like the competition that says you need to practice because your competition is working harder than you, Satan is working harder than you and me today in this world, especially for those people who have what you have, faith, to pull it away from you. In those moments that you guys are going to go through in high school, those moments at a party where there's underage drinking, where there's a temptation to do something that God says clearly that you shouldn't do, there's going to be temptations with sex outside of marriage that's being crammed down all of our throats as married people and unmarried people. Satan's hard at work. So practice your faith. Practice your faith every day because you know how hard Satan's working against you. But practice it. Engage in the contest knowing this. It's not up to you to win. Who won for you? Major. Same answer that you've been giving since you were sitting up here at Children's Message, right? Paul says in the next letter, in 2 Timothy, it's not up on the screen, but it says in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In other words, God says this, when you're making your confessions today, when you confess your faith and you confess, I'm going to stick with my faith through all the hard times, even the temptations, God says this, I have already made you, before the beginning of time, a winner. I made you to be forgiven. I made you to be holy. I made you to be pure, even before you were born. And that's a promise that he puts on you when you fall. And he says, my grace is still there for you. And so you're making your confession on a promise that God has already made a long time before you were even here. And you can make that confession with confidence. Okay, back to 1 Timothy. Paul says, in the sight of God, you're making your confession today in the sight of God and all these people and the whole world, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. You boys had a lot of assignments, didn't you? A lot of essays, a lot of memory work, a lot of, a lot of sharing of your faith, a lot of questions, a lot of answers. This is one more assignment that Paul gives to Timothy, and he says this, it this way, I charge you, I give you this assignment. I'm giving you an assignment today because I care for you, and we all care for you too. We're giving you this assignment to practice your faith because it, Satan's so hard at work 
that in this world, he's doing everything he can to pull young people away from God and from his church. In fact, I want to share with you a couple of statistics about young people. The first one is about Christianity in general and about the worldwide church. A research group called Barna did a survey about young people and found that 70% of young Christians graduating from high school or college will fall away from faith. Understanding the climate that you guys are going to go into in high school and the education system in college, that's not so surprising because the devil's hard at work there too. But that doesn't say that all those people are lost forever. Did you notice? It just says that they fell away from their faith. I don't want you to become one of those statistics. But now let's talk about within our own church body. If you're new to us today, we're a church body called the Wisconsin Lutheran Synod. We're a worldwide church body. Uh, And we did a survey of young people in our congregations and found that 60 to 70% of young people are classified as inactive. And beyond that, 35% of confirmands by age 19 attend public worship as often as twice a month. And if they're attending twice a month, I'd actually be pleased with that now because I've seen the attendance trend go even farther than that. This is a couple years old. And here, this one is that four out of ten members of every confirmation class will become inactive by the first Sunday after Memorial Day. Can you guys look at me for just a second? I don't want you or you or you to become a statistic. I really don't. And half the chairs up here will be gone. That's, that's what the last statistic is saying. If the devil's going to have his way. But he doesn't have his way. And he won't have his way with you. Paul says that the fight isn't finished. And actually the fight doesn't depend on you. As scary as all those statistics are, he says this. He says to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to be here the whole time and he's going to hold you up in your faith either until you die or until he returns. What's it going to look like to fight the good fight? Well, it looks like you practice your ground stroke in the parking lot and your free throws on the hoop and your ground balls on the field, but what's it really going to look like for you to practice your faith and to be around this 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 thing that holds you together, what is it going to be? Yeah, it's amazing in this inconsistent world. And everybody behind will tell you, as you get older, life gets less and less predictable. And it gets more and more complicated, right? You don't have parents driving you to church or to school or that sort of thing. But in fact, there's a lot of other things that are going to be introduced into your life. But here's the amazing thing about God's church. I found, personal experience, that God's church is extremely predictable and has had one time a week over the last I don't know how many thousand years when God's church has a lot has agreed to get together and they've agreed to get together around what the card the gospel the check that is eternal life make yourself a regular attender in worship and ask your pastors how you can serve in worship as a young man worship What other kind of ways can you stay connected that we've talked about? Is there anything in the middle of the week that you can stay connected with? There sure is. What is it? Yeah, youth group. We have a community of people that come together that are your age that talk about and 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 digest the word of God, right? Mr. White, Mrs. White and the youth group, 
They all help you, and all of your friends are coming together to help you to fight this good fight together. Worship and youth group and prayer. Talk to God daily in your prayer life, asking him to hold you up in this fight of faith. It's all right there, and God is saying that this is a daunting task, but you're not in it alone. Look at this verse. Jesus says, it says here that Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pilate, Pontius Pilate made the good confession, and this is the confession that your confession is built on. Jesus lived a perfect life in your place. When he made his confession, he made a perfect confession. That means that he never fell away from God's word. He was completely engrossed in God's word and completely in prayer with him all the time. He lived the perfect life and the perfect promise that you and you are about to make. And then he stood up in front of Pontius Pilate who had his life in his own hands and he made this confession. Let's read it together. Ready? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus made this confession and do you know what it cost him? His life. He didn't take a road out. He didn't say that he wanted to take a different direction, but he said, I'm making this confession because I have a different world in mind. You three young men are going to make a confession of faith that may not be popular in the world today. It may not be accepted by every person that you make that confession in front of when you speak about Jesus. But Jesus made a confession that was so unpopular that it cost him his life. And why? He did it for all the times when you and I have failed in our perfect confession that he expects us to make to him. And so from this day on, your assignment is this. Walk forward. Walk forward and fight the good fight. Don't give up on your faith. Not for a second, not for a minute, not for a day. Fight the good fight with joy. Not out of fear about whether you've got to please God, but out of the joy that God has pleased you and written this huge check to you. Go and, to go and live that life for him because he's the one that has given you this great gift and you want to say, God, I want to thank you every day of my life, every moment in prayer, every day. And then finally, in front of God, what Paul says is this. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in an unapproachable life, light whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen.